Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 8th, 2017. Five-game slate tonight for Matt and I to cover. Not a lot of value right now, so hopefully we get a couple of injuries that pop up that we have some cheap guys to roster. There are some injuries, but the thing, the guys that we currently have questionable, I don't really think are going to move the needle too much. The first game on the slate is the Indiana Pacers at the Detroit Pistons. So from the Pacers' side of the game, my favorite player was actually somebody who I liked for this uh, last night's slate as well, and that's Miles Turner. His price actually went down from 7100 to 7000 He started the season at 7700 and he was really good against the Pelicans. He finished with 21 points and 12 rebounds. He had 42 DraftKings fantasy points, and that was despite making just 37% of his field goal attempts. So there's even room for more upside than that, and he's going to be the focal point of the Pacers' offense this year. I think he's going to have a really big season in general. It got off to a little bit of a slower start than we would have thought, but that's just because he had a concussion, and then he had a minute restriction when he came back. He's going to be really good going forward. And then we have DeMontis Sabonis is currently questionable with the calf injury that held him out on Tuesday night. If he's not able to play, I think Thaddeus Young would, again, be a solid play. He's only at 5,800. He played 38 minutes tonight against the Pelicans. So this is going to be another really heavy workload night for Turner and Young if Sabonis isn't able to play. From the Pistons side of the game, Andre Drummond is at 8,400. Yeah, I guess whatever. I think he is... I think he has some upside there, but that's a pretty fair price for him. That's very high. Tobias Harris at 6,600. I think that's a decent GPP play. Stanley Johnson is listed as questionable with a hip injury. I have to look at their depth chart to try to figure out who might get minutes if he isn't able to play. Did he get injured during their... I'm not sure. I'm going to start clicking around also to see if I can find out who else might be benefiting from extra minutes. I guess you could bump up Avery Bradley a little bit. And Reggie Bullock maybe ends up playing significant minutes. Um, let's see. So he played 19 minutes in their last game. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, here's the like Stanley Johnson starts right now for the Pistons. So I think that it's hard to say right now. Well, also we don't. He he might just end up playing, and then it's totally irrelevant. But if he does sit out. I think the, the best way to go is just wait to see who the Pistons' name is their starter, and that's just going to be the guy who's most likely going to have value and have a chance to play. Like It could be Luke Kennard because he's a rookie. He's at min-price. Um, maybe it's Reggie Bullock. Maybe they go Langston Galloway and play a smaller lineup. But whoever they end up starting at small forward, I think that's where the value is going to be. Uh, I probably wouldn't mess with any of the bench guys just because that could get a little tricky. I think that if Stanley Johnson out, there's probably going to be somebody in the 3,000 range moved into the starting lineup, and that would be one of the only true value plays on the slate. So from a strategy standpoint for this game, uh, speaking in terms of tournaments, because I think you usually say you don't like playing cash games on slates this small. Five games, I guess, could be cash viable, but the way that this slate seems to set up with not a ton of cheap value, although I guess that changes if Stanley Johnson sits, but not a ton of cheap value. So with this being more of a GPP-oriented slate, I guess it probably could make some sense to fade what would probably end up being a chalky Pistons player like Bullock or Kennard if one of those guys is starting, and then maybe just use the guy who comes off the bench because you'll get them at much lower ownership. And then the same thing with Thaddeus Young. He had a pretty bad game on Tuesday night. Uh, He played a ton, but he only had 27 fantasy points. So he probably will be a lot lower owned than Miles Turner, who had a really good game. Um, So if you're trying to go contrarian here, I think the move is to probably take the Pistons guy that comes off the bench 
and also use a lot of Thaddeus Young because I think he'll he'll be a lot less popular than Turner is. Yeah, I'm fine with Turner and Young, especially if Sabonis is out because that's extra minutes for both of them. Like, I don't think that they're really significantly negatively correlated or anything. They do both get points from rebounds, except Thaddeus Young also gets a lot of steals. Miles Turner gets blocks. And then they're also just, neither one of them are particularly expensive. It's not like a situation where we have two guys who are super highly priced, like an Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins situation, although that apparently doesn't stop them both from scoring 70 fantasy points every night. But I I think that Turner and Young could be rostered together, especially if Sabonis doesn't play, because both of them played a ton of minutes tonight. Yeah, I'm definitely not recommending fading Turner. I'm just, I think Young is the better play if you had to pick one because of the lower ownership, but I definitely like both of them. So the next game on the slate, we have the Knicks at the Magic, which of course features my lord and savior, Kristaps Porzingis. He's been awesome this year. He's all the way at 9,500. I mean, as good as he's been, let's let's look at his game log. He's been putting up, I mean, pretty regularly. He is two games under 40 fantasy points. So I don't think 9,500 is a bad price for him. I think the issue is, that I would much rather use the guys from the Warriors-Wolves game that are in that price range, just because I think that that's going to be a strong stack spot. And this Knicks game is fine, but I don't think this is like a particularly thrilling game from a DFS perspective. I think Porzingis is in play in a vacuum, but looking at the, sh- the shape of the slate, I would prefer to fade him and just use the Warriors guys in that price range. Tim Hardaway at 6,100, I think he's usable. Neil Aquina, I'll say this, like I said before, he's going to start eventually. If this is the game he starts, he's in play, but or else, 3,800. I mean, he's just been playing 25 minutes a game. Matt and I were kind of looking at his point-per-minute production. He's scoring 0.8 TK fantasy points per minute this year. So he needs to play over 25 minutes to put up decent value at 3,800. So as long as he's coming off the bench, I don't think he's in play for me. When he starts, he's going to be a solid play, and I think that is going to be soon because the Knicks are trying to get him more playing time. From the Magic side of the game, Alfred Payton is currently questionable to play. It's hard to make too many determinations on the Magic side of the game until we find out whether he's in or out. If he doesn't play, Jonathan Simmons at 5,100. He started at point guard last game. I think that he would be a reasonable play. And then if Payton plays, there's a chance that his minutes are going to be restricted and that he's going to come off the bench. If that happens, he's not in play. But at 6,300, if he starts and he's not restricted, then I think he is a solid play. I just don't know how likely that is. So I'm getting some pretty serious deja vu here because this sounds just like our conversation from yesterday where we talked about Miles Turner and Thaddeus Young being strong plays. And then we went over the Knicks and mentioned Porzingis and Hardaway and Neil Aquina. And I think my viewpoint is the same as it was yesterday where... Porzingis and Hardaway, I think, are reasonably priced. There are just better spots. I didn't use either of them at all on Tuesday night. I probably won't use them on Wednesday night either because, well, Porzingis has been playing really well lately. I think he'll be one of the higher-owned players on the slate. And it's just, it's not really a value where those guys are priced. I guess it's just kind of a fair price. So they're usable. I just don't really think that it's worth going there when you can actually find value in other spots. So, uh the same analysis, if you listened to this yesterday, I, I feel the same way. With Neil Aquina, yeah, if, if he gets moved into the starting lineup, which I guess we're just waiting for at this point, if that happens, then he becomes a really strong play. Um, I do think that there's some hidden blowout risk here. The public really likes the Knicks for this game, 
they're five-point underdogs, and the Magic have been really good this year. It's the second game of a back-to-back for the Knicks. Um, I would say the Knicks have been overachieving just a little bit recently. The Magic probably have been overachieving all year, but I think there's some recency bias on the Knicks that's keeping this point spread down, and it's not that unrealistic for the Knicks to lose this game by double digits, and Porzingis ends up not really having a strong fantasy game. So I think it's going to be a fade for me on the Knicks, and then I agree with everything you said on Alfred Payton, where he could end up being a play where we end up using him or use other guys if Payton misses the game. If he's playing limited minutes, that kind of just ruins the whole situation. Um, and then I also think Vucevic is probably a strong play. Do you have any interest there, or you think it's the same sort of thing where there's just other guys in the same price range that are better picks? I mean, he's fine. I don't I don't look at it as some, like, crazy good price. I just think it's pretty fair. Like, if you look at his last handful of games, uh, 30 fantasy points, 26, 37, 35, 19, 21, 42. So kind of some up-and-down games. They have had some tough matchups. But I just think him at 7,100 is probably a pretty fair price. There was a guy who you liked on the Magic that I left for you to talk about. Oh, and I forgot. decent value play. Terrence Ross, is that who you were saying? Yes, I'll let you talk about him because you had pointed him out to me before. Oh, yes. Well, the thing that uh, jumped out to me at first when I was looking at this game was that the Knicks have been really bad at defending threes this year, and the sample size is fairly small, so maybe that's not a huge concern. But either way, Terrence Ross is cheap at under 4,000. He probably will get extra minutes if Alfred Payton isn't playing like he has been. So I don't like Ross as much if Payton's in, but... That's a cheap price for someone who gets pretty regular minutes and can have a lot of upside with his three-point shooting. So Ross is definitely someone to consider for tournaments. Yeah, and he when he first got traded to the Magic last year and got moved into the starting lineup, he, he did get his price up above 5000 at a point last year. So I think him at 3700 there's certainly upside there. I understand his role is a little lesser this year because Jonathan Simmons is in the picture also. But still, I mean, Terrence Ross at 3700 that's cheap. He's somebody who could score 30-plus fantasy points. He could definitely hit shots. So I think it makes sense to use him against the Knicks, who one definite struggle they've had on defense has been uh, three-point shooting. And then uh, so one the more Knicks- thing on before you go to the next game, one more thing on Vucevic. His usage actually isn't down at all since Aaron Gordon came back. Um, I'm looking at his game-by-game usage rates, and the only game where it was exceptionally high was against Brooklyn. He had one game where he just took a ton of shots. He had 60-something fantasy points that game. Uh, But other than that, he's been pretty consistent in terms of usage. Just recently, he hasn't made a lot of shots. So I think that he's going to be under-owned and maybe a little undervalued just because he hasn't been shooting particularly well. And if this is the game where he breaks out of his, I guess we'll call it a slump, then there's a lot of upside for him probably with uh, very low ownership. So that's what I'm thinking on Vucevic. I think he, it's not really a great value in terms of his price, but I think it's a good value in terms of the potential upside with low ownership. So that's someone who I'm going to at least be semi-interested in, although I do prefer Hassan Whiteside at the same price. Well, I guess my other point to that would be that he shot 47% from the field last year. He's shooting 52% from the field so far this year. So, But I think that all of that... Almost all of the good shooting came in a three- or four-game stretch. I guess it was a two- or three-game stretch at the very beginning, and then since that point, he's been cold. So I guess I'm just I'm looking at the recency bias from the public that may think of him as not as good of a player as he is overall. Yeah, I mean, still overall with the 52% shooting, he's scoring 36.8 fantasy points per game. 
So I just think it's a fair price. I think it's I think that his production makes it a fair price where he's at. Okay, fair enough. And then I guess we can move on to the next one. Is that the Whiteside game? No, not yet. We have the Lakers Celtics game. So the Lakers have been surprisingly good on defense this year. They're seventh in defense efficiency. The Celtics defense is just ridiculous. They're the best defense in the NBA by defensive efficiency. For DFS, they murder other teams, not only with good defense, but they also play at a really slow pace. So I do not think this is a good spot for the Lakers at all. Brooke Lopez is 6,100. Alonzo Ball, 6,300. Like, uh, I, I struggle so much with Ball because he has a game that seems like it should be DFS friendly. He gets rebounds. He gets assists. But he just isn't good at basketball at this point in his career. He's really struggled to start the season. He had one really big fantasy game against the Suns. And then other than that, he just hasn't had a bunch of other games. So as a GPP play, I mean, I could see the upside. I just don't know what the percentage chance of him hitting it is. It's very low for this game against a really tough Celtics team. The other thing also is based on how Lonzo Ball's game is, it seems to me like he's somebody who would thrive more in an up pace type of game. And I think that he's somebody who will struggle in the half-court game. He can't shoot. He can't. He obviously can't push the pace in a half-court game. So I'll just say that he's a fade at 6,300. And then from the Lakers, Kyle Kuzma is going to be, I think, really chalky on the slate at 6,100. He's been really good lately, and people just, I guess it's fun to say Kuz. So people <laughs> like to roster Kyle Kuzma. Maybe that's part of the reason. If I had to roster somebody on the Lakers, it would be Brooke Lopez at 6,100. But I, I don't. This is not a good spot for the Lakers at all. There's also a lot of blowout risk here. And then from the Lakers side of the game, it's. I mean, from the Celtics side of the game, it's similar feelings. Marcus Morris is playing now. I don't know what that's going to do to the minutes for their wing guys. And then Al Horford is priced up a little bit. Kyrie Irving's all the way at 8,800. And still, the the Lakers defense not quite as bad as people think. Seventh in defensive efficiency. And then there's a lot of blowout risk here. The Celtics are nine-point favorites. I think it could arguably be even higher than that. The Celtics have been maybe the best team in the NBA so far this year. Not that I think they're better than the Warriors, but they've played better than the Warriors to this point in the season. So I I don't really I don't like this game too much from a DFS perspective. How about you, Matt? So do you think it makes sense to target some Celtics regulars that play bench minutes where even if there's a blowout, you end up seeing them in the game at the end. Like Marcus Smart, I don't think has been starting, and he's still kind of the same price that he's been all year at 5,300. So I think I have some interest there because he wouldn't really be hurt too much by a blowout. Other than that, though, I do think this game is a pretty strong fade spot. The total for the game is at 208, but I also just think that total is too high. And like you said, there is some blowout risk here, so... I'm staying away from the starting players for both teams, but do you think Marcus Smart makes any sense? I mean, I wouldn't say that like there's no chance of having a good game, but I'm just more off this game, and a lot of it is because Marcus Morris is active now. So now that Morris is playing, and we don't know exactly what his minutes are going to look like, I think it's I don't I don't think it's a definite thing that's going to happen, but I definitely think it's a possibility at least that Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown all lose some minutes going to Marcus Morris. So what about Marcus Morris himself then? I guess that's the last person I wanted to mention. He only costs 4000 How many minutes do you think that you can realistically expect him to get? Because at that price, if he's playing 30-plus minutes, that's a really strong value play. I guess we just don't really know how many minutes he can play. I think he's probably going to be more in the 20-25 to 25 range. So... Still, I don't have a lot of interest in him either. 
Okay, fair enough. If he if the, if that is all he'll have the minutes that he can get, then yeah, no interest for me either. So the next game we have the White Side game. This is the Miami Heat at the Phoenix Suns. Of any team on the slate, nobody's a more favorable matchup than the Heat. The Suns defense. They are 25th in defensive efficiency. They're playing at the third fastest pace, the second fastest pace in the league. So this is a really plus matchup for the Heat. Hassan Whiteside still 7,400. He only played 16 minutes in the last game. But with that said, he's still coming off the knee injury. It was a back-to-back situation. So he's going to play more minutes going forward. He's probably the Heat's best player. At worst, he's their second best player behind Goran Dragic. So at 7,400, He's been somebody who's over 9,000 in the past. He was in the 8,000, 9,000 range for almost all of last season. So there's a lot of upside for him at 7,400. Drogic at 6,800, he really hasn't been that good this year, but he hasn't been that bad either. He's just been very mediocre. He's had a lot of games where he's just scoring low 30s, high 20s. This is such a plus matchup for him, and I think he could go overlooked because of how mediocre he's been this year, but I think he's in play. Dion Waiters at 5,700, I think he's fine. Uh, let's see. What have Josh Richardson's minutes been lately? Josh Richardson has not played well this year. Josh Richardson's somebody who I like, but 35 minutes, 32. But part of that also because, was because Waiters was out. I would say that Josh Richardson is like a fringe GPP play at 4,600, but I think there's a lot of risk to him because he's just not playing particularly well right now, and I think that he's going to lose minutes with Deion Waiters coming back. I much prefer Waiters and Drogic to Richardson. And then from the Phoenix side of the game, Devin Booker's at 8,000. Yeah, I guess that's fine. Not really anything too exciting. I think that uh, TJ Warren at 6,000 is the best play on the Sun side of the ball. Since they made the coaching changes, you should just weigh up game by game. He's taken, looks like he's averaging about 18 shot attempts per game where he was down around 10 before they made the coaching change. And also his minutes are way up. The only time his minutes were down was when he left with a head injury. So I think that TJ Warren's a really strong play at 6,000. He's one of my favorite plays on the slate. Yeah, I definitely like Warren from the Suns too. So from the Heat side, I guess if you're trying to build stacks of the game, it's it's difficult with this roster to figure out which players to use because there's a lot of guys that are probably negatively correlated with each other. Uh, the Heat have a lot of guards and a lot of similarly capable players. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to build a stack where you use Drogic and Waiters and Josh Richardson. I guess even those three guys, I wouldn't want to have all of them in the same lineup. So do you think it's as simple as just pick any two of them and use them together with Whiteside? Or is there more of a strategy to which guys fit together better than others? Yeah, uh, for this team, I would say... I'm uh, For this slate, I'm much more inclined to just go like... Drogic, Waiters, and Whiteside. And then maybe you could sub out Richards. You could use Richardson instead of one of Drogic or Waiters in a lineup. I, I wouldn't use all three of Richardson, Drogic, and Waiters together. I'd only use two of them. And I'd go much heavier on Drogic and Waiters, especially because even though Richardson hasn't been good, he's at 4600 which I think is kind of a fair price for him. But Drogic and Waiters themselves aren't very expensive. Drogic at 6800 Waiters at 5700 I just think that them, uh, both of them have more upside than Richardson for really what's just a marginally uh, marginally more expensive price, but people have just been performing much better. And then James Johnson's been priced up quite a bit, so I guess you could fill him in too because I don't think that there's any positive or negative correlation with him and the rest of the team. He's not really reliant on having the ball to produce. 
Uh, well, with Whiteside, he is because, like, so last game, James Johnson played really well. But a big reason why he played that well was because he got extra minutes because Whiteside played less. So James Johnson and Whiteside aren't going to share the court a ton. For, for whatever reason, the Heat started the season with Whiteside as the starting center and Olenek as the starting power forward. And then as soon as Whiteside got hurt, they put James Johnson at the starting power forward. For whatever reason, Spolstra doesn't really like to play James Johnson and Whiteside together a lot. So if we're expecting more minutes for Whiteside, it probably means less minutes for James Johnson. Okay, so I guess they're not negatively correlated in the way that they play. If, they're, if they happen to both be on the court together... They can both produce well because they kind of just do different things. But if it if it is true that they're not playing on the court together, then I guess you can't really use them in the same lineup. Uh, so if you are fading Whiteside, then I think Johnson makes some sense. If Whiteside is in foul trouble, Johnson probably gets a lot of extra minutes. Um, yeah, but I agree with I, you I not think, using both together. I think uh, I'm going to assume you're going to agree with me on this. Given how much Whiteside's price has gone down and how much James Johnson's price has gone up, there's only... It's kind of what is seven hundred dollar price difference between them, and especially because Whiteside was so poor last game while he was chalky, and James Johnson was so good with low ownership, and I expect that to more of the ownership to go towards Johnson for this game. Would you agree with me that Whiteside is just a much stronger play for this slate? Yeah, I guess the only it's actually a thousand dollar difference in price, but the only way that I wouldn't okay. agree with you is if that we ha- if we had some inclination that Whiteside would be incredibly chalky. But I don't actually think think that's the case. So I do agree with you that Whiteside, even at a thousand dollars more, is a much better play than Johnson. So there's just no reason to use James Johnson. All right, last game we have here: Minnesota Timberwolves at Golden State Warriors. This is actually for stacking purposes. This is my favorite game to stack because the as strong as a spot it is for the Heat against the Suns. The issue is that we just don't know who's going to play minutes for the Suns, and I don't think there's a lot of strong plays there. Whereas for the Timberwolves-Warriors, we know who's going to play minutes. The question is, is this game going to stay competitive? So for the Timberwolves side of the game, Tibbs plays all his starters just like the entire game. If it's if it's a 25-point game with three minutes left and the other team's bench goes on a 4-0 running garbage time, the starters are coming back in because he, just, he likes using his starters. That's who he trusts. So if this game stays close, Jeff Teague's playing 35-plus minutes. Wiggins is. Butler is. Towns is. So all of these guys are in play, and then from the Warriors side of the game, I feel the same way, whereas all of their stars are in play. And let me see the price to see if there's anybody who I particularly prefer. I think, um, all right, so Steph Curry at 9,300, I think he's a really strong play just because of how bad the Timberwolves have been against point guards this year. They've kind of been bad against everybody, but they've been particularly bad against point guards. And then... See, so Draymond Green's at seventy five hundred. I still feel like that's just a little bit too cheap of a price for Green, uh, but still, I think all of the Warriors guys are in play. Uh, my favorite is Curry, and then for Minnesota, I haven't really loved Jimmy Butler a lot recently, but his price has come down to sixty nine hundred now. So I think this is a good spot for Butler. It just there's a point where Butler's price just gets too low, and I think below seven thousand for me is that spot now. Uh, he, his role has not been nearly as big in the Timberwolves' offense as I thought it was going to be. But still, 6,900, I think, is worth the play on Butler. And just that, if this game's going to stay close, if Butler's playing 38-plus minutes. Let me see what Butler's minutes have looked like in recent games. He's played... Yeah, he's played... He's played over 38 minutes in four games so far this year. And the games he hasn't have just been games that weren't as close, so... 
it is going to be a close game. Uh, just it's going to be a lot of minutes for these guys. I think I think that this is probably my favorite GPP spot, and I don't know how much I'll be looking to stack any other game. So let's narrow this down to the specific players that we're looking at. I guess it's Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, Jeff Teague, and then the four main guys on the Warriors in Green, Thompson, Curry, and Durant. Is there anyone else there, or are we just limiting ourselves to those seven? Because Taj Gibson does play a bunch of minutes. He's priced up a little bit now to 4500 Do you have any interest there, or is it just the first seven guys? I think I'm okay with Taj Gibson just because uh, his last few games – 35 fantasy points, 13, 33, 39, 22. Like, I don't think Taj Gibson is particularly good, but somebody who could be playing 35 minutes at 4,500 in an up-tempo game, I'm fine with using him, especially in the game stack. And then the other guy I didn't mention is Andrew Wiggins, but he's priced so close to Jimmy Butler now, there's only a $300 difference that I'm probably not going to use much Wiggins just because Butler is better and only costs a little bit more. So then... If we're just looking at seven players, the issue is figuring out which ones to use in a given lineup because you definitely can't fit all of those guys within the salary constraints. They're all pretty expensive, and there's a lot of negative correlation there anyway, so you probably wouldn't even want to use all seven even if you could fit them. Um, So then Draymond Green you can kind of put with anyone, I guess, because he's a very low-usage player, gets his fantasy points without having the ball in his hands. So Green, I guess, with either Durant or Curry, maybe with Thompson. I think any three-man Warriors combination that includes Draymond Green is fine. And then from the Wolves, it would be Towns with either Teague or Butler, right? Like, you probably wouldn't want to have Teague and Butler in the same lineup. Um, But that, I'm kind of just speculating that those guys both need to have the ball in their hands to do reasonably well. I think I would be fine with Tegan Butler together just because they're cheap enough. Let's see what – I mean, Butler also – Butler gets steals and rebounds, whereas Teague could get assists. Like, Butler hasn't really been a big assist guy this year. So I, I could I could see them working well together. It's just hard to say who really correlates because we have, we have so few games with this Timberwolves squad playing together. Well, there's definitely some boost to the correlation just in terms of the game flow because – if it's a blowout, neither of them will be playing at the end of the game. Although with Thibodeau, I guess you never know what's going to happen. But they're more likely to be in at the game together um, or more likely to be in the game or more likely to not be in the game. It's probably not very likely that with th- the last three minutes in the game happening, Butler's on the court and Teague's not or vice versa. They're probably seeing some correlation just because the game flow could dictate whether or not they're in at the end. So I guess for that reason you could make the case that there's some positive correlation. Uh, but I'd prefer to use one of them with Towns. But I also think that there's no real problem using all three of those guys together. Yeah, definitely not. And then also, just because, let's see, what was... I mean, I know it's a different situation, but Butler was over Butler was over 10,000 at a point in time last year. So the role is different this year, but still, somebody to go from 10,000 all the way down to 6,900, that's a huge drop-off. So, I mean, yeah, I would even be fine with Towns, Teague, and Butler together. Just, I mean, the other issue is just are there going to be any cheap guys to play on this slate to make something like that happen? Like, I even think that, like, a Butler-Teague-Gibson combination is fine. Yeah, that makes sense. And for the cheap guys, I guess Gibson helps you there. Maybe you have to lean on someone like Terrence Ross. Or if Stanley Johnson sits, then we get fine cheap guys there. So the route for the slate will definitely be 
pretty significantly dictated by a couple injury situations because we'll need some cheaper guys to open up for us to be able to stack the Warriors game more heavily. And I definitely agree with you that that's, that's the best route to go. Uh, I don't I don't think the Heat make sense as a stack with the Suns, really, because because of what you said, where the Suns just don't have a lot of usable players. So if you can find a situation where it makes sense to use six or seven Warriors and Wolves players with one or two Heat guys or one or two value plays that pop up as we get closer to the games, I think that that would be the ideal strategy for building a lineup. All right, so that'll that'll finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GErenbergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense, and our next podcast is going to be a football podcast for Week 10.